Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the week one preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. You ready to roll, buddy? I'm ready. I've done enough time Googling today whether Hugh Freeze is going to be in a rascal or if he's going to be using a walkie-talkie to control his team this weekend. All right, well, yes, we will get to that. We will get to whether <laughs> Hugh Freeze has a walkie-talkie or not. It looks like no rascal, unfortunately. Uh, but we'll get to our beloved Liberty Boys. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Uh, we'll also talk some FCS or no. We'll go through our favorite bets. And for those that are new here, we end the Thursday podcast, which comes out every Friday, with a three and out. So for this week, we'll talk on first down about Sunday and Monday night football, which we have in college this week. Uh, we'll also talk about our favorite Friday night bet. We don't want to short you there. And then we'll close out with our infamous underdog money line parlay for Saturday's slate. So let's get things started with our first segment as always, look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? So for those not familiar, what we do with this segment is we look at some situational spots, which may or may not apply. And really, it comes down to the number. And there's a lot of these, you know, mid-season towards the end of the season, but it still does apply in week one. And the reason for that is, you know, you have everyone's focused effort, but I think what it comes down to is who does a certain team play week two? A certain coach or team might not want to show too much, knowing that you might not have a new scheme or some new receivers. So you're not really going to show your new wrinkles if you're playing little sisters of the poor with a big game on deck. You also might pull your starters a little quicker than normal. Um, so that's what we look at here. I think three games stick out in particular. Uh, and we'll start with LSU. And, you know, the big game next week is LSU, Texas, one of them at least, which we'll talk a lot about next week. But let's start with LSU. And when we talked with LSU's beat reporter from The Athletic, Brody Miller, he told us, like, look, you'd be surprised if they show anything here against Georgia Southern. Uh, who's catching 27 points. Colin, you make it 26.4, over under 53. I'm already in on the under at 53, knowing that I don't think LSU is going to show much. You have Georgia Southern, who's a snail, an option team. Clock's going to be moving. Um, I think you have two solid punters that'll help with field position. So I'm in on the under. What do you like here? Yeah, I actually found myself getting a Georgia Southern 28 before that number finally dipped down. Still suggested a 27. Like you said, you know, we talked to Brody Miller and he said we'll see little of the playbook that's going to be used next week when LSU goes to Austin and plays Texas. So what that means is we're going to see a lot of what LSU used to look like, probably line up, have a lot of running plays. They've had some uh, they've had some injuries on the offensive line, so I think they might want to play it safe with, with some of their blocking and uh, try to rotate in, maybe you know back up and try to build some depth in the offensive line. They're not going to do anything too dynamic, and I don't think we're going to see anything that, you know, we can study this tape all day, and it's not going to get us prepared for Texas, and it's probably going to look nothing like what that bowl performance was against Central Florida when they just, you know, threw downfield the entire time and had, you know, explosive plays for touchdowns all night. So, you know, I think the thing with the the over under is, is, as I agree, it's under city all the way, especially if LSU plays the entire time. But I mean, if the LSU defense decides to do that, do the same thing with depth, there could be some points scored uh, in the second half because Georgia Southern is a triple option offense. You have to wonder how much LSU on the defensive side of the ball put practice into preparing for the triple option. It's the only time they'll see it. And you don't know if they've just moved on and started scheming for Tennessee. So, same thing for me. Georgia Southern is going to cover. I expect it to be low scoring. Um, you know, I, I, it, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if this thing was a high scoring affair with Joe Burrow throwing down the field. 
you bring up a really good point with preparation. So like so a lot of times if you're playing a triple option team week one, then that gives you a lot of time to prepare for it. It's a unique offense. And a lot of the advantage you have with an option if you play a team midseason is they might only have a couple of days to prepare for it. But I don't necessarily think LSU is going to spend a ton of time preparing for the option with Texas on deck. You know, it just they can just go out here with their athletes and win this game. So I think you make a good point here. I think we need to point out the fact that both of them were top 20 in field position on both sides of the ball, and they both bring back their punters. They both bring back their place kickers. So it should be excellent field position for the defense every time, which is going to make plays, you know, make drives even longer for Georgia Southern. So special teams, that's, that's usually a thing that we cover here on the podcast, and, and these two teams are not lacking that in their own respect. Yeah, maybe LSU's... MVP last year, their kicker is gone. So maybe they take a step back in that department as well. So LSU's opponent, which we mentioned was Texas. They take on Louisiana Tech this week. Line 20 and a half. I'm waiting for it to pop to 21 to get some Louisiana Tech. You make it 13.7. I think the whole world, even your your dentist knows by now that Colin is low on Texas, over under 55. Look, I don't need to go too far into this. Texas is a simple team, people. I have been preaching it for years. Tom Herman, you take him as a dog, you fade him as a favorite. Sort of like Mike Tomlin. You know, as a favorite, he's 14-22-2 against the spread. That's sub 40%. And as a an underdog, he's 13-2-1 against the spread with a number of just outright wins. So 13-2-1 against the spread as an underdog, 14-22-2 as a favorite. He's a big-time favorite here. La Tech has some pieces that I like that are returning. But look, I won't go too far into it. Texas is a simple team, people. What do you see here? Yeah, I've tried to leave emotion out of this because I've been against Texas for, I don't know, since January. I, I don't know, since they beat Georgia in the Sugar You're Bowl. You're already lying? So I, if I You're look, already lying. Yeah, we didn't even get to the lie to me segment. Here we go. So let me be analytical about this game. So our, my power rating is 13 and a half on this game. And, you know, even SP plus is at 15. So the, the number is a reflection of probably all the offseason noise and love that Texas has generated. Uh, and bookmakers could, you know, put the number up that high and they know that they would still take Longhorn money. Uh, Circus Sports actually had this at 21 and a half for a little bit of time before uh, that got noticed and pulled down. And I was able to grab it at 20. Once I saw the 21 and a half disappear a few weeks ago, I knew 21 was going to be last call. And sure enough, here we are at 20 and a half, but I still think it's good enough to take all the way, you know, is if, even if it takes a dip farther down to 19 or 20, I still think it's worth, worth it. Cause skip Holtz, he's dominant and covering the spread when he's an underdog. He is a very underrated coach, especially in a high underdog situation. I think I've heard a stat float around like 14 and four when he's, you know, double digit underdog, something like that. But Tom Herman's the exact opposite when, you know, we have a uh, bet labs over at action network and uh, you know, there's a system out there that we use that says, what does Tom Herman do to cover the spread when he's at least a touchdown favorite? And that number is 10 and 18 against the spread. So, I mean, he's just kind of the exact opposite. Uh, Herman is as a favorite as Holtz is as an underdog. So uh, it's the situation sets up really good for LaTeX to go in there, but I think it's way more than that. I mean, I, I'm not going to get crazy here and say that LaTeX is going to win the game or anything, but Texas had a whole bunch of injuries during camp this year, during August, uh, you know, Keontae Ingram, the running back got beat up. Uh, there's safety, Caden Stearns, which is really the only stable thing that they had in that secondary. He got beat up. Now, the, both of these guys are, you know, looks like Stearns is going to be probable and he's going to play in the game, so we don't know the extent of the injury. But Louisiana Tech has an explosive pass connection of Jamar Smith to Jacquez Dancy. Though that connection still exists, and that's going to give Texas a bunch of problems. And then not to mention Sam Ellinger, who likes to stare down wide receivers and force the ball into a receiver. He's going up against probably the best G5 cornerback out there in a Mick Robinson. If you don't know who that is, he's a LaTeX cornerback that will play at the next level. He had 12 pass breakups last year. He is amazing, and he is probably going to tail and shut down Colin Johnson, forcing Sam Ellinger to either look elsewhere or try to pick up third and long on his feet. So I love LaTeX in this spot. One of my favorite sides of the weekend. I haven't gotten so excited yet to take a money line on it, but uh, you know, that, that would be the motion part the the analytics part says definitely take the spread against the horns this week remember everybody five seven five six five five zero six six four that's our voicemail number five seven five six five five zero six six four you can find it on my twitter at stucky two and i fully expect texas nation to call and like colin up you can light me up too i'll be on la tech also look we started the segment by saying texas has lsu on deck 
So, you know, maybe if they do get up by 24, 27, you can expect those starters to come out really early. And I think just overall, they're not going to show a ton. You know, one of the ones that's on the fringe of the look ahead or look away segment is Tennessee, Georgia State. Uh, so the Vols, who I think should be improved overall this year, they take on a Georgia State team who was dreadful last year, but brings back a ton. They were so young. Uh, they bring back a, a pretty promising quarterback with a new offensive coordinator. And then they did lose Hart, who's going to hurt on the outside and then the return game. But this Georgia State team intrigues me because with their new offensive coordinator, him and the head coach were together when App State beat Michigan. They're, I think they're going to spread it out. And I think they're going to try and go at Tennessee, who does have a good secondary on paper, but there's a ton of injuries, including Balin Buchanan, who's out. So maybe Tennessee, who's came out and said, look, we're not going to show much. We're going to go very vanilla. Maybe Georgia State can stay in this number because I do think they're going to be really improved. The problem is up front, obviously, they're going to be at a huge disadvantage in the trenches. What do you see here in a game? You make 25.3, so right around the number. I make the number right exactly where the market is right now, and I've just kind of been sitting and waiting all week. This is uh, 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 this is a game that's going to be uh, in the write-up, uh, what we used to call the CW9 over at the Action Network. It's going to be in my my weekly card, and I've just been sitting on There's no reason to take 26. There's no reason to take 25 and a half. What you're really hoping for is to get a key number. At least 27 is a bit more key than 26, uh, not quite a 28. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this thing dip because – I think people aren't paying attention to the fact that Georgia State does do something well, and that is Dan Ellington can throw the ball. I mean, he comes back with 10 of his top 11 targets from last year coming back to this team. Now, Stuck mentioned it. This head coach is reunited with an offensive coordinator. They were together for that App State team that went into the big house and beat Michigan. Now they're going into what I think is even a bigger house. I think Tennessee and Michigan likes to flip every year and say who the, who the biggest one is. But, uh, you know, they're going to go in here and they're going to try to expose what a weakness in Tennessee is, and that is the fact that cornerback Bryce Thompson is uh, been you know suspended, kicked off the team. You can look up exactly what he did. It's not a good situation. And then leading corner from last year uh, and nickelback Balin Buchanan is hurt, and he's out for this game too. So there is a lot of injury and a lot of uh, you know names that were supposed to be there that are not going to be there for the Volunteers. And Georgia State's you know best way of attack is to throw it downfield, and that's something Ellington can do. Now, can they play defense? No. Uh, can they stop what Tennessee's going to do on offense? No. But, I mean, if we can get to 27 or 28, I'm a full buyer. I'm going to buy it at 26 anyways. It's just a dead number. And good gambling says, I mean, I'm not going to buy a number when it's not key. I'm going to try to get something better. And if I start to see a cave and the market starts to catch on and say, hey, I think Georgia State can make some noise here, then we'll see that and, and we'll go ahead and get a play in the action app. Yeah. I mean, I think that this game also warrants a look at the over. While I don't think Tennessee wants to show a ton with BYU on deck, I mean, they should just be able to run the ball at will. And the rush explosiveness numbers for Georgia State last year were awful. Their secondary was awful. Now, they were really young, but still, with Tennessee's receivers and just their horses up front, even though they have some questions at offense line, I mean, this is an SEC team versus Georgia State. So I do think that Georgia State's going to have some success through the air, and Tennessee should also put up points. So I think the over is worth a look here as well. Uh, but keep your eyes out for Collins right up on the Action App and ActionNetwork.com. All right, so let's move on to just the general week one slate. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week one. Let's start with what I think is probably the most anticipated game of the weekend. It's kind of a deja vu game with Oregon-Auburn, just like last year, Auburn-Washington on a neutral field. This one will be played in a dome in Texas, so Oregon-Auburn in Texas. And this game is fascinating to me. And because it's at three and a half right now, and you make it, what, right around Auburn two? two? Because it's a three and a half, I'm starting to get tempted by Oregon. And look, what does scare me is the whole Pac-12 versus the SEC. I know that's just a popular narrative, but it's true. I mean, if you go back to 2005 in games involving two top 25 teams, in the non-conference, the SEC is 30 and 16 against all other ranked teams out of conference. Uh, so that speaks of their class in the spot. When you look at both teams, the, ma- the matchup we've talked about in the offseason is Oregon's offensive line versus Auburn's defensive line. Now, Auburn does Auburn does have some defensive tackles that are banged up, but this is still one of the best defensive lines in college football. Oregon has the most experience and one of the best offensive lines. Great matchup. I also think it's worth mentioning, which is scaring me about Oregon, is the kicking game. Oregon has three kickers listed 
Carlson has a big leg for Auburn. That was a big advantage for Auburn last year against Washington. It could be once again this year. But I keep going back to Justin Herbert at quarterback from with Oregon. He's and his experience is 30 starts. He does have some questions at receiver with a couple guys banged up, and then there's been drop problems. But his experience versus Bo Nix, who's a true freshman, first true freshman make, making a start in the season opener for Auburn, I think over 70 years. He they lost their top two receivers from last year, and Bo Nix is really talented. But the four receivers, main receivers that he's going to be working with, are also super talented. One of the fastest players in college football is one of them. But they've been hurt and have rarely practiced all during camp. So there's almost no rapport and chemistry there, I'm thinking. So I don't know how effective Bo Nix is going to be with those receivers without really any time together against an Oregon secondary that does bring back some experience. So, you know, that difference between Herbert and Knicks and the lack of time he's had with his receivers, I think, is is getting me to, to look a little harder at Oregon. What are you what are you seeing here? I mean, backing a team with a true freshman quarterback is is a little, you know, feels a little dicey with college game day. I mean, it's it's such a huge event. But I mean, Bo Nix has been mentioned in the in the Tua and Trevor type of quarterback to come out of college. So, you know, Gus Malzahn has stated that Joey Gatewood's going to get plenty of play. I think it really all depends on what is the best plan of attack against the Oregon defense is, is who's going to get the most playing time. So expect to see both of them. Just depends on who's moving the ball. Uh, as far as the other side, I mean, the highlight of this game is going to be the Auburn defense against the Oregon offense. Auburn has probably the best defensive line in the country. Uh, two players on that line are going to go in the in the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, they're going up against one of the best offensive lines in the country against Oregon. You know, so Herbert Herbert's still going to be under pressure. And uh, Auburn was 17th in defensive line havoc rate. I expect that to increase. 17th in havoc rate on the defensive line. They should be. Could be and should be top 10 this year. So we'll see how Herbert does, you know, as far as being on the road. Being on the road is not a good thing for Oregon. Under Herbert, they're 5-13 and 13 on the road. So they've had a hard time trying to find points. They've had a hard time trying to find wins. You know, they've already lost wide receiver Mika Pittman. So, you know, we'll see what happens here. I mean, the new defensive coordinator for Oregon scares me a lot with Andy Avalos. Not oh, so much as, okay. and I don't think he's a good defensive coordinator. He's going to be blitzing all the time. And why wouldn't you against a true freshman quarterback? But my problem with him is, is this isn't Jim Livett's 3-4. This is Andy Avalos. Those is three, four, where he likes to have a stud end player move it around. And all of a sudden you're going to see like a, a two, two, three, four, you know, a one, five, five. I mean, this guy's got all different kinds of complexity in his playbook and the where he wants to stunt from. Is that too much for the Oregon defense to learn? Is that something that they're going to miss? Is that something that Gus Malzahn can scheme out of? Uh, Gus mentioned in his Monday presser that the key to winning this game was in-game adjustments, not halftime adjustments, in-game adjustments. And he says that he will be very ready after two or three drives to know exactly what he has to do to execute and get this victory home. And if it comes down to me taking Gus Malzahn against Mario Cristobal, then I'm swallowing the I'm swallowing the points all day and going with Auburn here. So I've already got a play on it, Auburn. Uh, you know, I got it minus two and a half. I've got pieces of minus three, uh, you know, three and a half is where you start. I would start lowering how much I'm actually going to bet on Auburn, but, uh, you know, I'm on Auburn all the way here. Yeah. And we'll have a really in-depth betting guide on this game. So make sure you check that out. And you know, we might disagree on that Oregon Auburn game, but we vehemently disagree on Mississippi state, Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana is catching 20 and a half here. Uh, I did get them a little earlier, over three touchdowns, if you follow me on the app. Now, the big black cloud here is the Mississippi State suspensions. You know, for those not familiar, Mississippi State received sanctions from like a tutor because of a tutor. And there's 10 players, I believe, that are suspended. But because of like some family and something act, Joe Moorhead is not allowed to say who those players are until a couple hours before game time on Saturday. So I think that the market has come down a little bit, knowing that it can only hurt Mississippi State, right? So the number came out and then the suspension. So it came down across the three touchdown mark. But if there's like seven starters that are out, that line's going to come down more. If it's no one impactful, the line's going to go up, you know, so that's going to be what we're going to be looking for on Saturday morning. But the reason that I like Louisiana, you know, for a number of reasons, and I wrote up this game, if you haven't checked it out on the action app, but they have to replace a new quarterback. But I actually think it's a step up. Andre Nunez was not that efficient, and I actually believe in Levi Lewis. And he bring, he gets all five senior starting offensive linemen back, all of his weapons on the outside back, and then a three-headed monster at running back, which might be the best trio, and just running back group in general, in the entire group of five. 
Now, they got shut down last year, and they got blown out, you know, 56 to 10 against Mississippi State in Stark Vegas. And that game, they've been talking about that game all summer. You know, this is kind of their revenge spot. This will be in New Orleans, so it's it's a neutral field, but, you know, a little closer to Louisiana. But there's not going to be a huge home field advantage. But they've been talking about this game for a long time. They got shut down. And this is a, a group of backs that averaged, you know, 6.8 yards per carry and ran for close to 3,000 yards last year. But Mississippi State shut down everyone. They led the nation in yards per play. They were top five in rushing defense. But they lost their entire defensive line, including two that went in the first round of the NFL draft. That's enormous. You had two first rounders on the defensive line, which set the tone for the entire defense. Now, Louisiana is a Sunbelt defense, and you expect a Joe Moorhead offense with now a capable quarterback, uh, you know, in the transfer, Tommy Stevens, who won that battle, to be able, and I think Thompson's going to end up transferring who he beat out. But you expect their offense to take a step forward. And Louisiana's defense is nothing to write home about, but at least they bring back a ton of experience. Uh, but I just think that they'll be able to move the ball on the ground. I don't, I'm not sure how much Mississippi State cares about this game. There's all these sanctions and suspensions that are distracting them. Uh, so I think Louisiana's offense can have some success here, but you completely disagree and make this number 26. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm the only person that, that likes Mississippi State. I've quietly liked Mississippi State because I haven't said anything. I haven't tweeted anything. I, I didn't want any part of saying, well, hey, wait a minute. What about this and this and this? So this isn't one of those podcasts where I say, no, we're just not going to give you the answer. I'm going to blow up the market and then I'm going to tell you what I did. So no, Billy Napier has an excellent offense there. He has created just this three-headed running back monster that they were fifth overall in explosive uh, in ISO PPP. That's explosive runs. Uh, they were 10th in finishing drive. So anytime the Raging Cages get it down past the 40-yard line, they were able to convert it to points. Uh, they do lose Andre Nunez, a quarterback, but they're going to come back with Levi Lewis. Uh, he steps in. There shouldn't be you know that much change, uh, at least from the under center. You know, they're still going to be as explosive. They get all of their offensive line back. There is a lot to love about ULL this year. We discussed this on our G5 podcast about the Sun Belt and how explosive these guys are. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. But there's something on the defense that just bothered me the entire time about these guys, and it was the fact that they were 125th against explosive plays. Last year when Nick Fitzgerald took on this team, Nick Fitzgerald, who had probably one of the worst seasons as a college football quarterback you know, ever, went 14 of 21, had over 240 yards passing, had two touchdowns and no INTs, moved the ball at will through the air against ULL. And that just makes me a little bit nervous because – Joe Moorhead is back, but this time he has his quarterback. I think it's, I think it's hilarious that Keaton Thompson, you know, is upset and wanting to transfer because he didn't win the starting position. He still has two years of eligibility left. Tommy Stevens barely lost the job to Trace McSorley under Joe Moorhead years ago at Penn State. This was always going to be the starter. He just has one year left of eligibility. After Tommy Stevens is done, I'm sure Keaton Thompson may be the guy next year. You don't know what that conversation is. But what the Cajuns have done, what the Sunbelt defense has done is atrocious when teams come in to pass. And Tommy Stevens has the ability, has the potential to run anybody up if they have a weakness in their secondary, which ULL does. Now, as far as these suspensions go, the reason why the, the point spread has come down because of the suspensions, the sanctions that they were supposed to come on them, a tutor was doing their homework. This will include the basketball team, too. Apparently, it's 10 players. They don't know who the 10 players are. Uh, we don't know if it's defense. We don't know if it's offense. All I know is it's not Tommy Stevens because Tommy Stevens wasn't there in school last year. So <laughs> Tommy Stevens is still going to be there. But the team has known who these players are. Joe Moorhead said in his presser on Monday, I will announce who it is before kickoff. But we have adjusted our depth charts and we have played with the first and second string that is going to be the result of these suspensions. So it's not like it's a big secret and these players are going to find out. on Everybody knows. The only people that are going to be surprised by these names is the general public, the people that are betting. So as the number has come down below 21 and it sits at 20, 20 and a half, I expect when these suspensions are announced about an hour before kick on Saturday morning, ULL is going to take even more money. I think it's going to get so outrageous and get down so far that, I mean, this is a sunbelt offensive line going up against what? A bunch of guys that don't have experience from Mississippi State? They still field NFL players all the time. So, I mean, even though these guys aren't experienced, I mean... I, I doubt these guys that are playing offensive line for the, you know, in a Sunbelt school are, are, are big enough to push around even guys without experience. And even if it's an experienced defensive line, it's still a huge drop off from two first rounders to whoever they're putting in. Their defense is not going to be as good as it was last year. 
the score was 56 to 10 with Nick Fitzgerald. All right. So, all right. So from my standpoint, I'm waiting until Saturday, about 30 minutes before kick. I'm waiting for the suspensions to come out. I'm waiting for mass overreaction. I'm going to be on Mississippi State. I'll have money down before the kick. I will be against you there. I mean, maybe we can both hit if it lands 21. But Mm -hmm. go Raging Cajuns. Don't sleep on their special teams as well. Very solid. Um, All right. Let's quickly cover Bama Duke. I'm sure there's uh, a lot of Bama fans out there that want to hear. We won't go too in-depth. Everyone knows how good Bama is. Duke is replacing Daniel Jones. Uh, I will say that Cutcliffe's been phenomenal against the spread in his career to back 72, 55 and four against the spread. And everyone knows, I think it's the the narrative that's out there now when Bama's a 30 plus point favorite, they're terrible. Saban's 11 and 22 against the spread since 2005 when he's favored by 30 plus. And the reason I, I'm not a trend player unless there's, you know, core, the, there's causality with the correlation and there's meaning behind it. And there is in this case, that's because Alabama is generally going to be a little inflated, but also they just park the bus. Saban just says, all right, I'm done. Let's pull all of our starters. We'll go very vanilla. He's never going to run it up. And this year, I think that might even be the case even more so because there's a lot of depth issues with Alabama for the first time in a while. So, you know, they lost a ton of NFL talent. There's, you know, some injuries that they're dealing with. So staying healthy, I think, this early in the year is really important to Saban. I've been waiting for this thing to touch 35, and I think it did for a second. And um, I was in the shower, so I didn't get it. You can't even shower during football season, but I don't think it's going to touch 35 again. But I, I like I like Duke over 31. You make it 28. Will you be on the Blue Devils with me and maybe only me? I've texted with you. You don't have one of those androids that you can take into the shower and get your bets in while that's going on. No, you're well, right. I actually it, do you, take you, my phone into my to my shower all the time. And then like eventually <laughs> my fingers get too wet and then my screen is wet and then I have to put it down and, and throw it out onto a towel so I actually do, but then eventually I have to. All right, I got to watch myself. So. I think that was a Dre song that you just, uh, yeah. So, okay, so yeah, Dylan Moses, linebacker, he's he's out uh, for the season. That is an excruciating loss for Alabama. Uh, Joshua McMillan has already been lost for the season. The, I don't know what it is with this group. I don't know what it is with the defense. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's the strength and conditioning coaching that's going on at Alabama, but this has just become a yearly thing. And I've said this over and over and over and ad nauseum through the whole offseason. The offensive line lost a lot of career starts, and they the number one job of this Alabama team is to keep to a healthy. If he's not healthy, we could be back in the Greg McElroy days of, of having three losses. So that, that would be crazy. And a lot of people would be flushing their, their money down the toilet, probably except for me. But Duke is, I don't think, got the ability to beat them whatsoever. Their quarterback, uh, Quentin Harris, uh, we saw him come in and play Baylor. You would, I, I think I, I know I was on there for a lot of money. I think you were too. But I mean, Duke came out and just thrashed Baylor last year. But Quentin Harris was in that game. The question is, is can he hit a tight end like Noah Gray? Or can he hit one of his unproven targets over the middle where those Bama linebackers are? I have this number at 28. So even though it's taken a dip, and I expect it to dip more, this is good. I think at 31 and a half, I think it's good all the way up to 34. It's probably going to bounce between there no matter how many injuries I think happen on the defensive side of the ball. There's still going to be people that are going to line up at the window looking to bet Bama as much as possible, throw them in as many money lines and teasers and everything else as possible. So I like Duke. I like all the numbers that you can get 31 and above. All right, let's talk some ACC ball and Pitt, Virginia. I think this is a big game in the ACC and in in, for both teams and win totals and division early in the year. Virginia, it's two and a half point favorite uh, over under 46, 46 and a half. I actually really like the under here. And, you know, Pitt lost 2000 yard backs who ran for they ran wild on Virginia last year, ran for 253 yards. But now they, you know, Kenny Pickett's back at quarterback. You know, they have Mark Whipple who comes in from UMass. You know, you might have some air Narduzzi, which isn't very unlike our Narduzzi, but they might be more of a passing attack this year. After losing those two backs, they have some talented receivers, you know, French and Mac. But that's playing right into UVA's strength. I mean, UVA has an excellent, excellent secondary, great set of linebackers. So, you know, it's I mean, they have one of the best corners, I think, in Bryce Hall in, in the country. So I think, you know, he could shut down French. They can give help on the other side with their other corner. So I think they're going to struggle to move the ball. Virginia, you know, I'm just still not impressed with their offense. They lost their, you know, Bryce Perkins is back. They're still going to struggle in their red zone. They lost their top receiver. So I think this game is actually ugly in a very meaningful game. Um, and I'm, I'm taking the under. Where you, what, what are you seeing here? 
Yeah, under is probably the look, although I'm not sure there's much there's much value in it because it uh, as an opener of 49 is down to 46. But Virginia was 125th in the nation at adjusted pace, so they like to play a really slow brand of ball. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh loses their running back, so there could be some passing going on with Kenny Pickett and their new offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, who comes over from UMass. Uh, there's probably going to be a lot more throwing. So, listen, Pitt won this game 25 to 13 last year. Uh, that you know they weren't supposed to win that game either. I just think Kenny Pickett will be a much better quarterback with Kenny Whipple in the house. This number, as you and I hit the record here, went from two and a half to three. Uh, so, uh, as much as I want to take Pitt, and, and I, I think that you know this, I think the game is a complete coin flip. Uh, but you know, for reasons of beating them before, uh, having experience and I like Mark Whipple as the addition, um, you know, Uva lost her starting cornerback, uh, Darius Braxton, the inter- injury. I think that helps for Mark Whipple to game plan for Kenny Pickett to throw. Uh, there's just certain reasons why I like Pitt. I'm, I'm willing to let it steam out, maybe get above three if I can. I think if you lose this game, you potentially might be knocked out of the coastal. It's crazy to say that, but you know, there, there's some of these ACC games are very important as far as tiebreakers go. All right, so let's do some Big Ten rapid fire. I know there's a lot of Michigan and Ohio State fans out there that listen to the pod. So, Colin, I'm just going to say one sentence, ask you a question, you answer it, and give me one or two sentences back. Florida Atlantic, Ohio State, you make this line 20.7. It's at 27.5 right now. Florida Atlantic, I think, could be a little better than last year. You know, They had a disappointed year. It really comes down to ropes and a quarterback. Ohio State hasn't been getting a lot of love, national media. Maybe they want to make a statement here and, and blow out FAU. But if this gets to 28, don't I have to take FAU? Yes or no? You do. Until Ohio State learns how to solve stopping explosive plays on defense, they're a play against team. And Michigan, Middle Tennessee State, I'm really high on Michigan. They obviously have a new offense. How much are they going to show? We don't know. But they're playing a Middle Tennessee State team we think is going to be dreadful that lost a ton. Does Michigan name this here? And should you lay 34 and a half, stay away, or look at the Blue Raiders, which I hope you don't say? <laughs> Do not take Middle Tennessee State. They have one of the worst returning production ranks. And you can't understate how much it is when a coach loses a five-year quarterback starter that was his son. The question is not whether Michigan is going to win or by how much. It's really when do they pull back that Josh Gaddis playbook and say, nope, we're just going to go play bully ball. That's why maybe a first quarter and a first half bet is better than a full game. All right. Fair enough. I just wanted to make sure we covered both of those teams before we got to the podcast favorite team. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Yeah, they're catching uh, up to 19 and a half. You make it 14 and a half over under 68. We've mentioned Hugh Freeze. We have Buckshot back. At quarterback. And look, Hugh Freeze, who's back in the fold, people don't realize he was an against the spread machine, covering machine, 43 28 and 1 against the spread as a head coach. Big red to start the game, but at halftime, if things aren't going so well, we're going to go to Bazooka. This has the potential to be one of the highest scoring games of the weekend. Uh, does Liberty stay within the number and could they potentially pull off a stunner? Yeah, I love Liberty to stay within the number. I got it at 14 and a half. Uh, I think I'm not going to, I would never mention names or call anybody out, but there is a video I watched of somebody filming their pick service, what they were taking for the weekend. They filmed it from a Vegas book. And somebody said, I'm taking Syracuse no matter what, because I don't even know who Liberty is. I don't know where Liberty's at. I didn't even know Liberty had a football team. You probably shouldn't be doing college football if you don't know who Liberty is or the fact that they have Buckshot Calvert. We got a big chip on our shoulder. We love Liberty. Uh, you know, they are, you know, they were 19th in adjusted pace last year. They are uh, a highly explosive team. This Liberty team has Hugh Freeze, which has proven at Arkansas State and Ole Miss to turn around programs, not by one or two wins, but by four wins or six wins. He can get things moving fast. He's brought in some new guys on defense. Maybe they can do better than, you know, the 100 and I think 12th through 119th is what they ranked last year, 123rd against the rush. Uh, but Liberty has a very capable offense. They have a very capable quarterback. Uh, they have wide receivers that can get down the field. Syracuse, on the other hand, uh, you know, I don't know how why they're traveling to Liberty. I think the question should be is why is Syracuse traveling to Liberty? How did that ever happen? But, uh, you know, the, I don't think Syracuse cares about this game one second. I'm not a big fan of Tommy DeVito. His completion rate last year was was off. He, do, he doesn't seem to be able to make as clutch decisions, as explosive decisions as Eric Dungy did. Really, this is not uh, a typical Syracuse. 
Syracuse team that you've seen the last two years. They don't have the same personnel. They don't have as good of players on the offensive side of the ball. So I think what you're going to see is Liberty surprise some people here. Uh, I like it all the way down to 14, but I'm definitely going to let the number rise. It keeps going. Once it gets up to 20 or uh, 20 or 21, it's time to buy. Yep, I'm with you. I will be joining you on Liberty, and I'm also waiting on that number to rise. All right, so the last game that we'll go through here is SMU Arkansas State. And, you know, I was looking to fade Arkansas State early in the year because I was lower on them. But this number, I have no value doing so. So I didn't bet the side, but I actually bet the total. Uh, so SMU, you know, has Shane Bouchelle in the transfer from Texas at quarterback. They have two pretty talented receivers in James Prochet and Reggie Roberson. You know, but they couldn't run the ball last year. Their offensive line was a mess. That's a disaster against Arkansas State, who has one of the best defensive lines in the entire group of five. And if you're going to beat Arkansas State, you got to really run at them. You can't let them get pressure on your quarterback. But SMU can't really run the ball. And I'm not hopeful that they'll be able to this year. And the other side of the ball, Arkansas State brings a ton back, especially at the skill positions. But they lost, you know, their quarterback who's been there forever and are replacing him with Logan Bonner. Justin Hansen to Logan Bonner, I think, is an enormous drop off. And SMU's defense was surprisingly good last year. Um, and they bring back a ton. You know, both these teams, their defensive returning production is up there. So I think this is going to be a lot lower scoring. I know that it's, it's you know, when you think SMU, Arkansas State, you know, you have Arkansas State usually has a, a prolific passing attack. You know, and you think with Sonny Dykes and you think of, you know, the air raid. But I actually think this is going to go under. I played under 56. What are you seeing here? Yeah, I'm taking Arkansas State. Uh, they're going to have a lot of high emotions going on with with uh, their head coach, whether uh, he's on the sideline or not. You know, I, I think Arkansas State is playing with a reason. They're going to have some passion. They'll play a full four quarters. They have been prepared for what's going on off the field uh, the entire time. I actually make this number six. Uh, earlier in the week, this number was dummied down to about one and a half before it had some extremely sharp buyback up to three. So I think anything three minus two and a half is the play here on these guys. SMU has major questions on the offensive line, not only just how they played last year, but they have a lot of losses. While Arkansas State has one of the most experienced front sevens, at least in all of G5, uh, you know, they were 11th in sack rate last year. So there's going to be a lot of pressure applied from that standpoint. And then in passing S&P Plus, Arkansas State finished 31st overall. They were 21st in uh, opponent efficiency. They're a lot to deal with when it comes to you know throwing, and, and that's what Sonny Dykes is going to want to do all day. So uh, for me, this is an Arkansas State playing a home game, high emotions. You're going to get a full four quarters, and an SMU team that is going to play right into the hands of what Arkansas State's defense does best, and struggling with an offensive line. So Arkansas State all the way. Yeah, I agree with you that SM, what SMU does well. Arkansas State can counter. And then I think Arkansas State with the drop off at quarterback, you know, and, and SMU's defense, which was surprisingly good last year, I think will be even more improved this year with a great coordinator. This game is going to go under. Before we get to FCS or no, one more quick rapid fire session. We hated on Northwestern all last year. Mm. Cats, cats. And we hated on Stanford for their jump balls, Northwestern for their voodoo, black magic fuckery, if you will. So which team of the one of the podcast's least favorite teams gets the cover this weekend out in Cali? Uh, we're going to take Stanford, not Northwestern. I mean, Northwestern was the one that I mean, at least at least Stanford was exposed finally by Notre Dame, who could actually defend the pass and defend, you know, receivers, receive uh, targets that were six foot seven and, and could tip ball the, to themselves. At least Stanford got exposed at one point. But this Northwestern team is just, you know, they should have lost so many games last year that they that they ended up winning. But this one, I don't think they're going to pull off the number. I have it at nine sitting at six right now. It's going to go up to seven. Some sharp money in the market that's uh, taking Stanford, even though it looks like, you know, most of the ticket count and most of the money is on Northwestern. Uh, the numbers move in the other way. I mean, Northwestern loses their best uh, defensive back uh, in pass breakups and, and Monterey Hardage. He cycles out, and KJ Costello should be able to throw against a secondary that doesn't have a single player over six foot one. Northwestern was 115th in sack rate last year, and they were 116th in opponent completion rate, which means Stanford's going to be able to just throw all day. And KJ Costello is an excellent quarterback. So you know, this Northwestern defense doesn't have the size on, on the back seven to keep up or defend what KJ Costello wants. To to do uh and the best way to avoid patty fisher is to throw over his head so stanford all the way and the second one florida state boise state notable because this game has been moved to tallahassee because of the hurricane so you obviously saw an adjustment 
uh, with the game being moved. And now Florida State's up to seven. Is that too much of adjustment? Do you like the Knowles here? I know you're high on them. We're staying away. Yeah, it's too much of an adjustment. I had the number at five and a half, I think. Uh, let me see. I did not include neutral. So, yeah, even with, with bringing in Florida State's home field advantage, that would make the game directly on seven. So there's no value in, in either side. But but I will say there is a certain level of Florida State can blow you out. They have something to prove. They have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, Kendall Bryles is here not just to you know rehabilitate an offense, but to make a statement and save Willie Taggart's job. You know, Boise State is starting a new quarterback of their own. They have new defensive coordinator also because they lost their defensive coordinator to Oregon. So uh, everything here screams Florida State, and now they're in their home stadium. So if I had a, if I was in a pick em pool and I had to take a side, hopefully there's a stale line in there. But if it's an updated line up to seven, I'd still take Florida State because they definitely have the ability to blow you out if they seem to get things figured out at the offensive line, which will in turn make things in the other units much better. Yep, that's all gonna it's all gonna come down to the offensive line for the Knowles, who should be better this year with a lot of upside. All right, so let's move on to my favorite segment. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC Yes or No. All right, for those new or need a refresher, this is the segment where we talk about some of the biggest FCS versus FBS matchups or the games that we really like in FCS team. And I tend to not like a ton early in the year in the FCS realm, but I had two games circled this week with James Madison and Illinois State. And Illinois State's going to Northern Illinois. James Madison is going to West Virginia. I wanted to get over a touchdown with each, and these lines came out under a touchdown. By the way, James Madison might be the best team at the FCS level. You know, they bring back everyone on defense, uh, and they bring back Ben DiNucci, former pick quarterback, a quarterback, a ton on offense. This team's really good. Same could be said about Illinois State. They bring back everyone. I think they're in the top 10 in FCS. One of these teams is going to pull an upset. So maybe I'll just throw, you know, whatever you can, a couple of peanuts on both of them money line. But, you know, at the end of the day, these are still two FCS teams going on the road. And, you know, one of them, especially James Madison, going on the road against a power five team and getting under a touchdown. So I don't have a ton in the FCS space this weekend, but if I can get either one of them over a touchdown, which I might, I'll take a bite. What are you saying? You, you like Indiana State? You're fading Kansas already? Oh, of course, already all year. No, it, to, to Stucky's point, the bookmakers have gotten a lot better at making point spreads for FCS FBS games because some of these yep. are sharp. They're under 10. Just the kind of the exposure the FCS has gotten over the past couple of years. People are starting to pay attention to returning production for FCS teams. There's starting to be more coverage in the preseason. And I think with with that comes the fact that, you know, generally you would think a team like Northern Iowa is a powerhouse on the FCS level, and you would think that that might give Iowa State a little bit of a scare. But you know, it's easy to find out that Northern Iowa <laughs> can't pick between three different quarterbacks; they have no clue who's going to start. And then at the same time, we mentioned James Madison. You know, a team that would be overlooked in the past could come up and scare. I think Eastern Carolina and other teams like that. But now, you know, they're only—I mean—six points against West Virginia. So I have to, you know, give props to the bookmakers because they made these lines, you know, spot on from from what all the projections that I've seen. So the ones. That I've keyed in on is Kansas and Indiana State. Uh, Indiana State is a team that is playing with a chip on its shoulder this year. Uh, they were 0-11 two years ago, got to 7-4, and and just missed making the FCS playoffs. So if you don't know how the FCS playoff works, there's a whole selection and all that, so you can, you can look it up. But they were not selected. They have a chip on their shoulder. They're still a little bit pissed off about that. Uh, they have a preseason rank in the FCS top 25 of 16th. Uh, they have everything on their offense back. They are going to be able to get the ball down the field with no problems. Uh, they're one of the best in the FCS. We'll see, you know, how that goes as far as the Eastern Washingtons and the and the North Dakota states of the world. But, you know, they had a terrible rush D, which was their their Achilles heel last year. And I'm not sure Kansas can expose that because this is the game that Puka Williams is going to miss. Uh, this is the game that he's suspended for. Uh, probably should have been suspended for more, but he's at least out for this one. So maybe they can't expose what Indiana State's, uh, uh, you know, biggest problem is on defense. So, uh, you know, both Malloy and Miles, uh, the two head coaches for this game, they were in Michigan in 1990. They actually know each other. Uh, the, I believe Malloy was a linebacker at Michigan. At the same time, Les Miles was an assistant coach. I think there's a there's a lot going on here. The spread is small. It's six, but I'm going to take the points, and I'm going to take uh, Indiana State on the money line. 
I think the other one that we need to talk about is Eastern Washington and Washington. So Eastern Washington is, uh, you know, they lost the FCS championship last year, in case you didn't know. They can't put up points in a second. Great quarterback. They had three different quarterbacks last year uh, with, with some injuries, but the one who finished it up is going to be the one who's starting this game. Actually, one of their injured quarterbacks was uh, Gage Gubrud, uh, who's now going to be playing at Washington State. So uh, Eastern Washington can throw up a, a whole bunch, uh, you know, Sagarin. Uh, makes this game at 27. I think that's the reason I haven't played it yet on the action app is because, like I said, they, uh, you know, the bookmakers did a pretty good job setting this at 21. So I'm still waiting for a little bit of steam to come in before I jump on Eastern Washington. But Jake Hayner has left Washington. I mean, he lost the starting job to Jacob Jacob Eason. And if you read all the reports up there at Washington, Eason only won the job because of his blue chip talent. They said it was neck and neck. The, the, neither of them had separated themselves from each other. And because Jacob Eason had the pedigree coming into college football, that's the reason that he got the starting position. So Jake Hayner has left. That's one less Jake for those of you counting on this podcast. Who is this? It's Jake from State Farm. Uh, Eason's now backed up by redshirt freshman Jacob Sermon. There's too, there's too many Jakes on this. But, uh, you know, Eastern Washington is fourth uh, in, in the FCS poll. Uh, they lost in the, the national championship last year. Uh, they're going to be able to put up points in a half second. Uh, Washington's defensive line was 107th in sack rate. They're not going to be able to get any pressure on the Eastern Washington quarterback. Uh, Eastern Washington has three of their top four tacklers back. Uh, Washington has Cal on deck. So if we're talking about look ahead or look away, you know, they have Cal on deck next week. And Peterson mentioned that Eastern Washington always comes to Seattle and they always play them really tough and gives a max effort and, and have, have, you know, might try to pull a surprise here, but I'm going to wait on the number to steam. So if you're looking at it at 21, I'm going to look at it to steam. Once it does, I'll be on EWU. Before we go three and out, this wouldn't be an official podcast unless we talk Arkansas football. For those not familiar, that's Arkansas is Collins' alma mater. My alma mater, uh, George Washington, just doesn't have a football team. So, you know, it's time for you to lie, I guess. All right, so Colin, you already lied to us about saying you won't bet Louisiana Tech Moneyline, but we all know that you will. Uh, so Arkansas is favored by four touchdowns, maybe 28 and a half against Portland State. Portland State is dreadful. I want no part of this game, but give, lie to me. Are you betting this or not? Whatever you say, we know it's not going to be true. I can't bet this game, 28 and a half. I can't even make a point spread. I can't make a point spread on Portland State. This team is the trash. The Vikings are trash of the FCS. Arkansas is the trash of the FBS. 28 and a half. I wouldn't even know what to do with this game. We're going to play, I don't know, four or five quarterbacks. I'm not going to tweet about this game. I'm not going to have money on this game. I'm just going to ignore it. Come back next week and maybe talk about the Razorbacks. All right. So there you go. You can expect a a play on uh, probably Portland State to come across the action app on Saturday morning. Uh, Maybe Portland State can pull off a stunner and help us with the Arkansas win total (laughs) under. Uh, But uh, let's close it out here with three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. We'll start on first down. And for those looking for action tonight that can't wait till tomorrow, we'll talk about our favorite Friday night bet. I'm just going to, you know, I have a write up on Rice. Check it out. I'm basically fading the service academies. And they're all big favorites this weekend. I love fading the service academies when they're big favorites. And the reason is, is they run the option. They bleed the clock. They limit possessions. It's hard to cover big numbers. Regardless if they're favored or not, they're great as underdogs and they're terrible as favorites. Since 2005, the three service academies, 127, 110, and six against the spread. It's about 53.5% as underdogs. 106, 141, and five as a favorite. That's about 42.9%. And as a double digit favorite, 48, 71, and two, about 40% against the spread. Rice is a snail. They go as slow as anybody, uh, and Army's going to be running their triple option. Rice should be better this year. They were so young. Uh, check out my write-up. I think Rice can keep this within three touchdowns, although it's going to be scary when Army's going for it on fourth downs. And Army was the number one team on third downs last year in the nation. Rice was dead last. Uh, so it's scary. There's going to be some moments where it's fourth and goal and Army's going for it. But I think Rice stays within 21. What's your favorite bet on Friday night? Yeah, I like that one. Uh, I'm going to go with UMass. It's <laughs> Game of the week here. I make I make the game 13 and a half. Uh, Rutgers being favored by anybody, anybody over two touchdowns is kind of a joke. But UMass, there's actually an advantage here for UMass. I know it's a new coach. I know we've lost uh, these two great quarterbacks that we loved up at UMass and, and Andy Isabella, who's now in the NFL. We've lost all this uh, uh, firepower on the offensive side of the ball. But I think the one thing that people aren't paying attention to is that Walt Bell, their new head coach, 
was an offensive coordinator at Maryland. At the same time, the defensive coordinator there was Andy Boo. Andy Boo is now the defensive coordinator at Rutgers. So the scheme that Andy Boo is going to run, Walt Bell is very familiar with it. The two know each other very well. I think that plays into the hands of the team that's, you know, uh, the market is at 16 when it should actually be about 13. Uh, UMass is the play. Gross. Um, all right, so let's move on to second down here and talk Sunday and Monday night college football, which is what we have this week with Houston, Oklahoma. Oklahoma favored by 23 and a half-ish on Sunday. And Notre Dame, Louisville. Notre Dame, 18, 18 and a half point favorites on Monday. I am looking at Louisville, who I think is going to be undervalued early in the year. It's all about effort under their new coach, you know, who came from App State. They're going to get that effort that they didn't have last year. Uh, I think they find a way to cover this game. I want no no part of Houston, Oklahoma. Uh, quickly, are you betting either one of these games and give out one pick? Yeah, I think the, the game I'm going to bet is Houston, Oklahoma. I do want an under. I'd like for it to come up back above 80 before I go under. My projected number on this is 72. It was said uh, by Dana Holgerson that their Derek King may not be putting up as many designed runs as he had before. So I think that that uh, you know, is one thing where – uh, if they have an offense where they're kind of pull pull you know pull the reins back on De'Aaron King, that might not result in as many points. Uh, Oklahoma, on the other hand, there may be a lot more plays from Jalen Hurts that are on the ground that burns clock. I do want the under here. By the way, my favorite thing in the offseason was Alex Grinch being hired by OU. I wouldn't be completely surprised here if Oklahoma actually put up a extremely good effort on defense and kept Houston from scoring as much as people think. Uh, so the other game, Notre Dame, Louisville, I don't want anything to do with it. We, nobody, nobody on this earth has a clue where Louisville is. They'd had one of the biggest power rating drops from last year from all that crap with Bobby Petrino. The players gave up. We couldn't tell where they were. Uh, each week was, a, was just a, a complete mystery would show up. And even as far as you set the Louisville line, they would still find a way to get beat against the spread. So uh, absolutely, we have no clue where Louisville is. So I don't know how you could actually set a number on the Notre Dame game. So that one is a watch and learn. All right. So uh, let's close out here with third down and our Moneyline underdog parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline parlay. Uh, for those not familiar, we give we each give a Moneyline underdog. We'll have a write-up for it, too. Look, I didn't find too many on the car worth taking. I think Oregon-Auburn's a coin flip game. I'm going to trust the veteran quarterback. Uh, I'm going with Oregon. Where are you rolling here? Yeah, I didn't want to. Uh, the only one I could find is Boston College. That should be a pick game. It's floated up way too high to four and five. Uh, Boston College won this game last year, uh, and they're going to be able to run on the Virginia Tech defense like they did last year. So, BC for me. There you go. You know, Two games that we think are coin, more coin flips in the lines. We're taking value there. The part of money line probably plays about six to one. Hopefully that can cash, but we'll be tracking them and writing them up every week on the Action App and ActionNetwork.com. Thanks, Colin, for joining me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure you keep the voicemail number. Save it on your phone. Write it down. Write it on your forehead, 575-655-0664. We'll be back on Monday with a recap of the weekend, the best voicemails of the weekend. Make sure you rate, review. You know the deal. Spread the word. Thanks for listening. Good luck this weekend. Cheers. Peace out.